is going to be what we saw here uh, in Acts chapter 10. And of course, the food laws that the Jews practiced, it was just a way, just as a way for them to separate themselves. And they saw this even more in other ways. This became, um, a better way of saying it, it started to get out of control in one sense, where they saw the Gentiles as just wicked and unclean people. Not people to be loved, right? And the Gentiles in return saw the Jews as snobby, stuck-up people who didn't participate in anything in their world. Now, they wouldn't participate in the festivals. They wouldn't participate in many things. And so you can feel the tension. I hope you, you can feel the tension a bit between Jews and Gentiles. I think we feel that tension in our own day with a, with a variety of different groups that are opposed to one another. We know what that's like for different groups to think ill of one another. So if you can bring with that with you into this story, just set your place, set your feet for a moment in Peter's sandals. You're really hungry. You're on top of a house. It's about the midday, so if you get hungry at lunch, you can identify. And you're starting to fall asleep a little bit. It's been a long night the night before, and you start to have a dream, a vision. And what do you see? Peter starts to see this huge sheet, this sail. The word for it is actually a sail, like the sail of a ship. You start to see, see this huge sheet descend. And on it are what? All these foods you have been told from childhood you could not touch, you could not eat. And then you hear a voice from heaven. Now, think, remember, heaven is the realm of God. This is the place where Jesus has just ascended not too long ago. This is the control room of heaven and earth. And so from heaven, you hear a voice say, Peter, rise, take, kill, eat. And you know, you, like Peter, would probably say, what in the world? No, Lord, certainly not. I can't eat this stuff. You told us not to eat this stuff. It would make me unclean. I have never put anything unclean or common in my mouth, Peter says. And this vision and this back and forth encounter with this voice from heaven happens three times. And so you can feel somewhat of the perplexity. Just imagine something that you have been told your entire life you were not allowed to do, and then you had this vision and God was telling you, do it. How shocking that would be. How perplexed you would be. So Peter's there, perplexed. And at that moment, the text says, behold. That's what behold does. It gets our attention, right? When the writers have behold in the text, it's like, listen up to this. Pay attention right here. So as soon as Peter has that, who appears at the door? Three Gentiles sent from Cornelius, who himself had already received a vision and was told in that vision by an angel to send these men to get Peter to come to his home. So these Gentiles all of a sudden emerge, right? The group, these food laws were meant to separate the Jews from. They're at the door. And we not told that Peter gets the point of the vision yet, but we begin to see it, a little glimpse that he does. Because then Peter says, what? What's the text say? He invites them in. This is a huge risk to Peter. It's a huge risk to all other Jews in that house. They're risking contamination. They're risking becoming ritually impure, ritually unclean. So there's something going on here. Something has changed. This vision has changed something for Peter. And you know, like all of us, it takes more than once for something to change in our minds. Three times Peter gets this vision from heaven. Three times this vision from God. And something changes. 
So what changed? What changed for Peter? Look at Acts chapter 10, verse 28. And Peter said to them, this is to those Gentiles, you yourselves know, this is when he's in, in, in uh, Caesarea, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without rejection. You see, it was one thing for Peter to invite them into Simon the Tanner's home, right? that risk contamination. It was another thing entirely for him to travel the 30 miles north to Caesarea and to enter Cornelius' home, where Gentiles eat Gentile food. Right? What would have been served to him would not have been kosher, most likely. And so Peter goes, and he tells them, you know that it's not lawful for me to be here, but God has shown me a different way. God has done something different. Peter realizes for the first time that the distinctions that the Jews were to maintain between themselves and the Gentiles were only for a particular period and for a particular purpose. And that purpose and that period had ended and had come in Jesus. It was never God's intention to maintain these, these distinctions indefinitely. But now, prompted by his vision and in light of Jesus as the risen and ascended Lord, the Lord of all, of everyone, everywhere, Peter comes to see that Gentiles can share in the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection and share in the new life of God's kingdom, and this is key, without having to renounce their own ethnic past and without having to take on themselves Jewish identity and all that comes with it, like the food laws, like ritual sacrifice, all these things, they do not have to become Jewish to become a part of God's kingdom and God's family. This is a new thing. This is not how it was in the Old Testament. If a Gentile wanted to become a part of God's people, the Jewish nation, they would have to become Jewish, be circumcised, obey the law. This is not what's required of the Gentiles now. And this is a remarkable, this is a scandalous claim. Something truly new is happening here in Acts. That is defining the culture of God's people, the church. Yet at this point, we have to be really careful because there's still a sense in Scripture, in the New Testament, that Gentiles actually do have to give something of their past identities up when they embrace the good news about Jesus. If they don't, then Paul doesn't make sense when he addresses the Corinthians as ex-pagans in 1 Corinthians 12. And it doesn't make any sense then in 1 Corinthians 10 when he addresses them and says that Moses is your father. Something, has, something is given up and something is received. The Gentiles do give up their past ways of life, their past culture, a culture that was not in line with God's way of life in this world, and they do receive something. They receive the scriptures. They receive Moses. They receive Jesus. They are welcomed into the family. They can, along with the Jews, call Moses our father. They can, along with the Jews, call Abraham our father, Sarah our mother. God now invites Gentiles to come to him as they are, as Gentiles, as non-Jews. They do not need to become Jewish first in order to receive an invitation and participate in God's family. 
However, to receive this invitation will require them to be transformed through acts of repentance, forgiveness, baptism, and receiving of the Holy Spirit. Come as you are and be transformed. You are invited just as you are, Gentiles. You don't need to do any preliminary work to become Jewish to receive God's invitation to become his adopted sons and daughters. Come as you are to be transformed. So what has God shown to Peter in this vision and in this narrative that would bring about this change for him? What's that one theological truth, that core reality about God that we alluded to earlier? Well, if you look at Acts chapter 10, verse 34, we see it. Truly, Peter says, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You see, God reveals to Peter something about himself. And that defines, in part, this new culture. God does not practice favoritism. He shows no partiality. God does not show favor. He does not give favor to any one or any race or any ethnicity or any socioeconomic class, any gender, any IQ or education level. He doesn't give any favor to them above others. God treats each person equally. Another way of saying this is that at the foot of the cross or before the judgment seat of Christ, we all stand equal. No matter our background, no matter the way we look, we all stand equally condemned. Equally sinners, equal rebellions against God. And God equally gives us what? Forgiveness, grace, invitation, welcome to become a part of his family, enter into the kingdom of God, and enjoy the full benefits of God's kingdom, now and forevermore. We all equally need what God offers to us in Jesus. A way to find true peace. In the Old Testament, shalom. And we see that in Acts 10, 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, this is Peter speaking, preaching good news of peace, good news of shalom through Jesus Christ, for he is Lord of all. You see, peace or shalom is about the fullness of life that emerges from a reconciled relationship to God and to one another. Have you ever been in a relationship and it's strained? Life is not great. It hurts. Shalom, true peace, is when our relationship with God that has been fractured by our own sin and rebellion is restored in Jesus. And that paves the way to have our relationships with one another restored. And out of that reconciled relationships, out of those reconciled relationships, true life can emerge. True joy. This is what God is now offering, not just to Jews, but to Gentiles, to you and to me. God offers equally this peace to everyone, whoever they may be or however they may be, because he does not practice favoritism. He does not act in this world with prejudice towards certain folks and favor towards others. That's huge. That's huge. Don't we want a world where the chief supreme ruler, the king, is like that. God is for every person. He is for every person in this world equally, 
and he demonstrates this by his actions. And this is what Peter recounts to Cornelius and those Gentiles there in that room. Because God is for them, and he is for you, and this is the way he's for you. Verse 36, God sent the message of peace through Jesus. Verse 38, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power to be the Messiah, the true king. Verse 38, through Jesus, or though Jesus was not the king Israel expected, God was with him nonetheless. Verse 40, God demonstrated that he was for Jesus by raising him from the dead. Verse 41, God chose Peter and others to be eyewitnesses of what God had done in and through Jesus from Jerusalem to the ends of the world. Verse 42, God commanded the church to preach that good news of Jesus to everyone, everywhere. Verse 42, and God has ordained Jesus to be the judge of the living and the dead, the judge and Lord of all. God has done all that for you. He's done all that for your neighbors. Everyone. No one is excluded. No one is marginalized. That's beauty. That's the beauty of the kingdom of God. So in light of what we've just learned about God, that he shows no partiality, Peter recounts what God has done for everyone, the saving acts of God. This was God's global plan to set the world right at last, and Jesus is in the middle of it all. For Gentiles, for Jews, for you, and for me. And this is what Peter was telling these Gentiles for the first time. God is for you. Jesus is for you. He loves you. He gave everything up for you. You can be a part of his family. You no longer have to be excluded from God. You can be a part of the family. That's true beauty. In Jesus, you can be forgiven and adopted. God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This core truth about God that defines in part the culture of God's kingdom that the church is to embody in this world as a way of bearing witness to the good news of Jesus, this is the core truth that defines our engagement in this world, that it defines our culture This is indeed good news. This is a culture we desire to embody and receive ourselves. Don't you want to live among a people like that? Don't you want our world to be defined by that? And not its petty divisions. So how do we respond to this truth that God does not show partiality? There's so many things, but two in particular we want to point out. First, and this is the first one, first and foremost, we joyfully worship God giving to him our praise and thanks. Because we've lived under governments and we've lived in times that have had all kinds of divisions where people were not embodying a culture like that. We know what that's like. We don't want that anymore in our lives. And God gives us a different way. He's made that way possible in Jesus. 
and he's made it a reality in our lives through the Spirit. And the only thing we can do is praise and worship God, giving him thanks. That's, that's, the only, that's the only response we can begin with. We have to begin by adoring God for who he is. And that's what we do each Sunday. For the rest of this service, join your voices together in song and worship through the liturgy, praising the God who does not discriminate, who shows no favoritism, who treats everyone equally before the cross and before the judgment seat of Christ. Second thing, how we respond to this is we undiscriminately invite all as they are and where they are bearing witness in words and by our actions to the good news about Jesus. We don't seek to change them before we invite them. We invite them as they are, where they are, to receive God's invitation. Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He wants you to be a part of his family. That's yours to have. You can have it. You see, we are to become like the God we worship. And the culture of the kingdom we are to embody here in Winston-Salem is one that does not show partiality. It does not practice favoritism. Jesus has commanded us to bear witness to all, to everyone, everywhere, because he is Lord of all and he desires all to come to repentance and be welcomed into God's family and kingdom. And this challenges us in our partisan world. We're easily sucked into partisan politics and other ways of just being antagonistic or oppositional to folks in our world. And the gospel does indeed call us to be for the world and against it. We are never to be against its people. This checks our easy tendency to view the other people as problems that we wish would be out of the way. It challenges that. And it tells us, no, they are just family that don't know it yet. Invite them. Invite them. Invite them into the family. Give them Jesus. Give them the gospel, the good news of God's kingdom. We are not to judge who is worthy of God's invitation to come and receive in Jesus' forgiveness and welcome. We are simply to deliver the invitation to everyone we meet, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our family. Sometimes our family are the hardest ones to invite into God's family. We're to do this to whomever we encounter, no matter who they are or what situation they're in or what they look like. Now, there's also one thing we have to be really clear about, too. In our current context, in our current culture, in this, in this country, in the West, and this is, this is what we have to be clear about, inviting everyone as they are to receive God's forgiveness and welcome does not mean that God accepts everyone as they are. Let me say that again, and now we'll explain it a little bit because we need to be clear about this. Inviting everyone as they are to receive God's forgiveness and welcome does not mean that God accepts everyone as they are. It is not the case that God simply accepts us as we are. That's a prominent narrative in the church and a growing one. Rather, he invites us as we are, 
But responding to that invitation always and in every case involves complete transformation. Demonstrated in acts of repentance. The reception of forgiveness, God's forgiveness, the forgiveness of others. Baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit. It's so important to get that distinction down. God invites everyone where they are. But... An encounter with God and his invitation does not leave you the same. You are transformed. Cornelius was no longer just some ex-pagan. He was now a son of God and he was transformed by the descending of the spirit upon those folks there in that room. Utterly transformed. A new person, a new life, new creation. You see, the reality that God shows no partiality does not mean that God runs this world and his kingdom as a democracy or that he simply validates and accepts everyone's opinion about everything or everyone's chosen identity. It means that there are no ethnic, this is what it means, that there are no ethnic or racial or geographical or cultural or political or moral barriers in the way of anyone or everyone being offered forgiveness. There is nothing that stands in the way of you receiving the invitation to find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. There is nothing that stands in the way of you finding and receiving the invitation to have new life in God's kingdom. See, this is a God and a message far more powerful and meaningful than some easygoing, laissez-faire tolerance or acceptance. Cornelius did not want cheap acceptance from God, nor did he want God to simply tolerate him. He wanted to be welcomed into the family, to be forgiven, to be healed, and to be transformed, and he was. And everyone in that house was as well. And this welcome, this forgiveness, this healing, this transformation is what God invites all to receive, experience, and enjoy. Aren't you glad? (laughs) Because we were people separated from God. And someone told us, whether it was parents, a friend, a co-worker, about the love of God and the forgiveness of Jesus. And so we are compelled to worship God for who he is, a God that shows no favoritism. And we are compelled to invite others, no matter who they are or what they look like or what they believe or what they have or have not done to receive God's welcome, his forgiveness, his healing, and his transformation and new life in Jesus. May God help us to embody that in the culture that we create, that God is creating through his spirit right here at Christ Church and in every church that submits to Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.